Uh, oops, what have I done here? Well, first let's find the sermon. I had it here a moment ago. Yes, thank you for your welcome, Stuart. And um, as Stuart said, I'm Tim. I, I, I think I have met many of you in the past. Um, at, I'm Jessica's dad. Um, and uh, we lived in Toowoomba for a number of years. We left about, I guess, about eight years ago. Uh, but I was the pastor of the Presbyterian Reformed Church here in Toowoomba when uh, that was still a thing. Um, and so, yes, we've had that connection with Toowoomba. We've had that. We've had a connection with Eastgate since its beginning. I got to meet Dave Kiwiet when he was um, here, right back at the beginning. And uh, we've always had a real interest in um, Eastgate Bible Church and been very thankful for the uh, witness and testimony that you've all been able to have here. And. Uh, of course, Jessica, especially from time to time, tells us how things are going with you all. And uh, um, so not so long ago, she said, so how would you like to uh, fill a pulpit? <laughs> so here I am. And uh, I'm very glad to be able to be here again with you all. We're going to take a look at um, this passage from Hebrews that we've just been um, hearing but let's just commit our time to the Lord in prayer now. Let's just pray once more. Father in heaven, we do bless you and thank you for your mighty word. We thank you that through it you speak to our hearts, that through it you um, change hearts, that through it you reveal yourself to us. And we pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. I ask that you would give me the words to speak, that everything that I say will be what you would have me to say, and that through it all, your name would be glorified and we, your people, would be lifted up and strengthened. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we just read this chapter um, of Hebrews, that very lengthy chapter, um, in which we have this Lift list of those who we might call the heroes of the faith. This long, long list of faithful men and women that, that spans the whole period of the Old Testament. And, and this list begins with verse 1 where it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then through the rest of the chapter, the writer of Hebrews says, by faith, just as we sang a moment ago, by faith, that's the refrain that keeps on appearing throughout this chapter. By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. And so on and so on. In other words, what you've got here is the writer of Hebrews gives us a definition of faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, or the conviction of things not seen. And then he gives us a string of examples, one after another, after another, after another, 
to show us what that faith that he is speaking of looks like in practice. Each of these examples of these heroes of the faith adds something to our understanding of what biblical faith, the faith of the Bible, actually looks like, what faith is all about. And that's essential knowledge for us, isn't it? That's essential knowledge for us because the Bible is very clear that, just as it says back in the previous chapter, in chapter 10, verse 38, the righteous one shall live by faith. We live by faith. As far as the Bible is concerned, you and I had better get this question of faith right. You and I had better understand what this faith of the Bible is all about because our life depends on it. The righteous one shall live by faith. And so this is a wonderful chapter of the Bible for us to be able to spend time in. We're not going to be going through the whole chapter. You'll be relieved to know. What we are going to do is take a look at just the first person on the list of people that's, uh, that's mentioned there in, um, in Hebrews 11. This first of the, Hebrews, the heroes of the faith, I should say, that the writer brings to our attention, Abel. We're going to take a look at Abel and see what Abel adds to our understanding of what faith is all about. And so the main text that we're going to be looking at is going to be verse 4. Hebrews 11 verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Now, most of what we know about Abel is found in the first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis. It's found in chapter 4, verse 11 of the book of Genesis. And I'd like to invite you to turn with me to that part of your Bible. Genesis chapter 4, verse 11, I beg your pardon, verses 1 to 11. And we're going to just read those verses now. So Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother, Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well... Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, or some versions have its desire is toward you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? 
And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Now, this is pretty much all that we have on Abel. Apart from this reference to him that's our text, in our text in Hebrews 11, there are just two other mentions of Abel in the whole Bible. And we're actually going to come to those a little later on. But for now, though, I want to just take a look at this Genesis passage, along with Hebrews 11, verse 4, and we're going to ask the question, what can we learn from Abel from these passages? What makes Abel significant to us as an example of faith? Why is he significant? Well, firstly, this is our first point, if you want to write points down, Firstly, Abel was the first man ever to die. That's the first thing that makes Abel significant. He was the first man ever to die. Adam and Eve were created by God and their two sons, Cain and Abel, were the first two human beings ever born on the earth, but Abel was the first one to die. And you remember the story, don't you? You remember that when Adam and Eve sinned against God by eating the forbidden fruit... That was when death came into the world. God had warned them that the penalty for sin would be death. And so it was. Right at the time that they fell, that was actually demonstrated to them when God clothed them in tunics of animal skin. And so for the first time, they got to see animal death. And since then, the death of animals had been part of their existence as demonstrated by the fact that Abel had offered up some of his sheep as a sacrifice to God. Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel all knew the reality of death. But when Abel was murdered by Cain, for the first time, death came to humankind. When Abel's blood was shed... Adam and Eve saw graphically demonstrated just how terrible that curse of sin really was. It demonstrated, firstly, that the curse was real, that it could not be escaped, that death would certainly come not just to animals but to people. It would come to Adam and Eve themselves. It demonstrated that though they were indeed different to the animals, that though they, out of all God's creation, were made in the image of God, yet death would claim them and us just the same. But then secondly, Abel's death also graphically demonstrated that man himself is the source of that sin and death. That very first death was not from natural causes. It was not from old age. It was from brother killing brother. Sin ruled Cain's heart as God warned him, and Abel's death was the result. And so Abel's death is hugely significant to us all. It's as the first of all deaths resulting, all resulting from sin. 
We see the rule of death and we see that it is indeed the result of sin. We, we can imagine Adam and Eve discovering Abel's body, learning that it's Cain's doing and being overwhelmed by the fact that this is their doing. That this is the direct result of that terrible day when they decided they knew better than God and chose to go their own way and everything changed. We see, don't we, the horror of sin, the sinfulness of sin. And and we need to see that, don't we? Because isn't it true that the great temptation for us all when it comes to sin is to minimise it? To think that after all it is really not all that bad. We tell ourselves, don't we, that it's only a little thing. It's only a little thing. It's a little lie. A little selfishness. A little vanity. A little greed. A little carelessness. A little lust. A little gossip. A little unkindness. A little anger. If we were Adam and Eve we might say it's only a little fruit. It's no big deal. But sin is ugly. Sin is devastating. Sin is a curse. And the power and the ugliness and the curse of sin was never more clearly demonstrated than in the death of Abel, that first man to die. In Abel's death, Adam and Eve saw, and we all get to see, just how great our sin problem really is. We see just how much we need to be rescued from it. And so the the first thing we learn about faith from this first of our heroes of the faith is why we need it. What the problem is. We need faith because of who we are. We are sinners. We are sinful by nature. We are subject to judgment. We are subject to death. And we need rescuing. Abel teaches us that. So that's the first thing. Abel was the first man to die. But... There's much more to learn from Abel than just that. And so we come to our second point, which is that Abel offered the first recorded sacrifice. Abel offered the first recorded sacrifice. We see there in our text, Hebrews 11, verse 4, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. And we read of that back in the Genesis passage. We read that Abel offered a sacrifice... And that the Lord, as it says there, had regard for Abel and his offering. Now, this is also something that's actually hugely significant because when we read about this, when we read about this event, we're bound to ask this question. We're bound to ask, how is it that the idea of offering an animal sacrifice ever entered Abel's head? Where did that come from? And when you think, think about it, really the only reasonable answer to that is that it was because it was something that God had told Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel to do. 
Surely it wasn't just some random idea that popped into their heads one day. Surely this was something that God had instructed them to do. And I believe we can say this with certainty because, to me, the thing that makes this absolutely certain is because of what the writer of Hebrews says about it. He says that Abel did this by faith. He did this by faith. And because faith in the Bible isn't something that just stands on its own. People sometimes speak about faith, don't they, as if, as if it's the force in Star Wars. You know, may the force be with you. And, uh, uh, you know, I have faith, this mysterious force that somehow is going to help me, you know. Just have faith. And, okay, but... That's not the way the Bible talks about faith. That's not what the Bible means when it talks about faith. In the Bible, the word faith, or faith is summed up in the two words, I should say, belief and trust. But you see, you have to believe in something or someone. You have to trust in something or someone. To talk about trust without being able to say who or what you're trusting in That's nonsense, isn't it? And to talk about belief without being able to specify what it is that you believe, that's nonsense too. These things have to have an object. Trust, belief, faith, they have to have an object. It has to be faith in someone or something. And so when we read, as we do here, that Abel offered this sacrifice to God by faith, we can be quite certain that he didn't offer this sacrifice just out of some vague impulse of his own. It was as an expression of his belief and trust in the God who had commanded it. And why would God have commanded such a thing? Well, surely for exactly the same reason that he explicitly commands animal sacrifices to Moses and the people of Israel in a later age, surely as a sacrifice for sin. As indeed had been the practice before it's explicitly given to Moses, as we see with these other ones who are mentioned, people like Noah, people like Abraham, and, the, and, his, and his descendants who came after him, they offered animal sacrifices. They did it for sin. The animal sacrifices in Moses' day very clearly pointed us towards somebody. They pointed us towards the Messiah, Jesus, who was going to offer the ultimate sacrifice that truly could do what? Could save us from sin. Himself, giving himself as the sacrifice for sin. And and so we're surely right to infer that the animal sacrifices that God has given has must have instructed Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel to make were for exactly the same reason. It was surely the sacrifice that Abel offered was surely a sacrifice for sin. Now we don't know how much God had explained to them. This revelation of the Messiah and of his atoning death for the sins of all who trust in him, that's something that's progressively revealed to us through the Bible. 
It's something that becomes more and more clear as time goes by, right through the Old Testament, until finally it's fully revealed when Christ finally comes into the world as a man and he dies on the cross as our substitute, as, our, as the sacrifice to satisfy God's justice and reconcile us to God. And it's all made completely clear at that point. This is the one who's going to do it. This is how it's done. This is what it was all pointing to. Abel didn't have all that. For Abel, the first man ever to die, that revelation of the Messiah could only be dimly understood. But he understood enough. He understood enough. He understood that his salvation from sin would be through the sacrifice of another. And he trusted God when God instructed him to make an animal sacrifice because of his sin to demonstrate this. Abel trusted God. He offered his sacrifice by faith. By faith. And to highlight this further, we have the converse. We have Cain. Cain offered a sacrifice. What was Cain's sacrifice? Cain's sacrifice was of the fruit of the ground. It was a bloodless sacrifice. And God did not accept it. Why not? Surely there are two reasons. Surely the first is that the sacrifice was not as God has prescribed. But then secondly, and more importantly, Cain's heart was not right before God. Cain was not acting by faith as Abel was. The very fact that he would offer a sacrifice according to his own ideas reveals this. Cain thought that he knew better. Cain thought that he had something to offer God. And so he offers a sacrifice without blood. A sacrifice that implies that he needs no atonement. A sacrifice that could be seen more as a gift from Cain to God than a pleading for mercy from God. And God does not accept it. Because sin is real. And right from the beginning, God revealed to us that it can only be paid for in blood. It cannot be minimised. It cannot be paid for through our own feeble works. Cain thought that his bloodless sacrifice, the fruit of his own efforts, would be good enough for God. And he was very wrong. And so Abel offers the first recorded sacrifice. That was our second point. But then there's still more for us to learn from Abel because our text doesn't stop with God accepting Abel's sacrifice. We also read that God declared Abel righteous. That's our third point, that God declared Abel righteous. That's what it says there. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. 
God declares Abel to be righteous in his sight. And to confirm this, we have the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 23, verse 35. This is one of the other two places where Abel is mentioned in the Bible. Matthew 23, verse 35, and Jesus talks there about the blood of righteous Abel. Jesus confirms this statement. Abel was a righteous man, declared righteous by God. In other words, Abel's faith was indeed saving faith. By faith, Abel was declared righteous. It was faith that caused God to view Abel as righteous in his sight. It was exactly the same as the faith that we are told we still need today. Abel was saved from his sin and declared righteous by God through faith, just as we still are today. And and that's actually an important point for us to make because there are those who, who teach that people weren't saved in the Old Testament in quite the same way as in the New. There's a school of thought that says that You know, Adam and Eve were saved in a different way to Noah, who was saved in a different way to Abraham, who was saved in a different way to Moses, and and so on and so on. And and there's this whole succession of different methods, these different ways, different covenants by which God has acted down through the ages to, to, to save his people. That's not what we see here in Hebrews 11. Here in Hebrews 11, we have this down through the ages picture of people being saved by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. All the way to the time of Christ and beyond. People being declared righteous with God by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. Just as for us today. And so the very first man who who dies on earth is also the very first man to be declared righteous through faith. As it says at the end of the verse, through his faith, though Abel died, he still speaks. Through his faith, he still speaks. He speaks to us still. Yes, in that he demonstrates the terrible effects of sin. But much more wonderfully in that he also demonstrates that there is a way of deliverance, that we may be saved from that sin and that that salvation is by faith. There is a righteousness with God to be had through faith. My righteous one shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? that curse of sin. But there's an escape. That terrible fall. But there's a deliverance. And the first man to die shows us what that was. It is by faith. God declares Abel to be righteous. Well, there's one more passage about Abel for us in the Bible for us to think about. And it's actually still here in, eight, in Hebrews. It's one chapter further on in Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 12, 
I'm going to read a few verses from there, from verses 18 to 19, and then from verses 22 to 24. 24 is where we get the mention of Abel, but let's just give it, give us, give it this context. Hebrews 12, verses 18 to 19, the writer says, For you have not come to what may be touched, or some versions have, to the mountain that may be touched. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. Jumping across to verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now, this mountain that burned with fire, the darkness, the gloom, the tempest, the sound of a trumpet, the voice of words so fearful that those who heard them begged not to hear any more. What's that talking about? That's a reference to the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, isn't it? To the people of Israel in Moses' time, when God himself audibly spoke the Ten Commandments to them all. Just imagine. The terror of hearing the voice of God. Here is my law. You shall have no other gods before me. And on it goes. And it's the voice of God himself speaking to the whole nation. Here is my law. And each law is spoken of those ten commandments. Surely, part the biggest part of the reason they were terrified was because they heard those laws and that's me i have stolen i have lied i have coveted i have done this i have done that and here's the voice of god saying thou shalt not it's a fearful thing the law of God. The law of God and its requirements upheld by Almighty God who is fearful, terrifying in his anger and strict justice against sin. And we have the scripture itself telling us that the law is fearful because it condemns us but it cannot save us. But, it's a wonderful but there in verse 22. But this is not what we have come to. This is not what we are left with. This is not all that we have to look forward to, this fearfulness. No, it says, we have come to the assembly of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. We have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to an innumerable company of angels. Most importantly, we have come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. We do not see only God, the lawgiver, in all his terrible fearfulness for, fearfulness for us who are all lawbreakers. 
No, we get to see Christ the mediator, Christ the deliverer, Christ the saviour, Christ our redeemer. Jesus, the one to whom Abel's sacrifice pointed. Jesus, the object of our faith. This verse speaks of the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Well, we've seen what Abel's blood spoke of, haven't we? Abel's blood spoke of a world polluted by sin, of the curse of death, of a world desperately in need of redemption. That's what Abel's blood spoke of. But the blood of sprinkling speaks better things. What is this blood of sprinkling? The blood of sprinkling was the blood of sacrifice. The blood of atonement, in particular, it was the blood of atonement that the priest would take each year into the holiest of holies, the holiest place in the temple. He would take that blood and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat, the place where God was said to dwell. That was the blood of atonement on the day of atonement. But now that blood of atonement is the blood of Christ, the one true sacrifice whose blood is truly able to pay the price of sin, unlike all those animal sacrifices that we read elsewhere in Hebrews could only point towards it. This is where we have come, to the blood of Christ. This is where we find our hope. This is the object of our faith. Jesus. And that's wonderful. We have not come to the fearful mountain. We have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. Christ is the object of our faith. And that is wonderful. But of course... It is only those who have faith in him who are saved. And there are so many who don't have that faith. So many who are like Cain. So many who refuse the true sacrifice, that sacrifice of blood, thinking, I don't need that. That's not necessary for me. I'm good enough. My offering is good enough. What I can bring is good enough. I don't need the blood of sprinkling. I don't need the blood of Christ. So I want to close as we come to the end of this this morning. I want to close by asking each of you to consider again for yourself. What's the object of your faith? Who's the object of your faith? What are you trusting in? Are you trusting in Christ? Is your hope, is the the ground of your hope, the one true sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, of himself for you? Or are you somehow still kidding yourself that you can get by without it? You cannot. You cannot. The blood of Abel stains the ground. 
And it cries out to us that we are all sinners and that we are all subject to death, that we are all in desperate need of salvation because after death comes judgment. We all need the blood of sprinkling. We all need the blood of Christ. It's ours through faith. Abel was declared righteous through faith. And so it is for every one of us. Put your faith in Christ and you will find that life by faith just as Abel did. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word your word that reveals to us both the terror of our condition, the sinfulness of our sin, and the wonder of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus who came to pay that price that had to be paid so that we could be saved from our sin. We thank you for his death on the cross, for his sprinkled blood, and we pray that every one of us may, by your grace, be among those who, like Abel, are declared righteous through faith. And these things we ask in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.